Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Years ago, when I was in youth group growing up at the church that I went to, you know, we had a pretty active youth group, and we would try to go and do little service projects, things to kind of love on people in the community. And one of the things that we did was we learned a bunch of songs, and, you know, a lot of them were probably like old hymns and then like just fun, like sort of camp songs that, that we did way back in the Stone Ages when I was a kid growing up. And we would go, and we went to this nursing home, and we were all there. We had, we had a big youth group. All these kids were spread all out. Amongst all the residents, they pulled the residents in into the cafeteria and they had them, you know, all sitting in chairs and they had like their wheelchairs and all spread out of the room. And we were like interspersed amongst the kids. I'm telling you, it was like a Broadway musical. It was amazing, right? We were just, we were killing it. We were singing out with all we could. And so I was standing beside uh, these couple of ladies that were sitting in wheelchairs. And so like I was in the middle of the room. So, and man, we were singing our hearts out and I was like, you know, trying to make eye contact. You know, stuff like that, you know, just trying to connect with my audience, you know what I'm saying? And so I was just, man, we were singing out. And so we finished the song, and it gets a little quiet. There's a little pause in everything that's going on. And the lady beside me leans over to the lady beside her. And I'm thinking, okay, she's going to talk about how amazing we are and be like, especially this cute one beside me. It's what, it's what I'm thinking she's going to say. And she leans over and she says, I hate these little turds. <laughs> I, I kid you not, man. Oh gosh! I, for the next thirty seconds, I just stood on her oxygen tube. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't. Twenty seconds tops. Twenty seconds top. Um, no, I didn't do any of that. But the reason I tell you that is because sometimes serving can be a little bit disheartening. Sometimes when you serve other people, you are going into it maybe with a great attitude, maybe not a great attitude, I don't know, but you're out there and you're trying your best and they don't always appreciate what you do. Can you relate to that? You ever done that? You ever tried to help somebody and encourage somebody and it just did not go the way you thought? You thought, man, they would be so grateful, so thankful. And so today... We're going to talk a little bit more about serving. Now, some of you who were here last week, if you were awake, if you're watching online, you know that we talked about serving a little bit in the context of love. We said that love sees people, love serves people, and love searches for people. But I want us to drill down a little bit deeper into that serving part because it's something that can be so easily missed. Maybe, in all honesty, maybe it's because you might have had an experience like that where a little old lady called you a little turd. You know, I don't know exactly, but you still, you're, you're, you're gun shy. You're not sure. But I think we got to get to the heart of what it comes to when we come to serve other people. If we're being honest, we can do it for the wrong reasons, can't we? You know, we can absolutely do it for the wrong reasons. We can do it for, um, you know, the, the street cred. You know, you can do it for, um, you know, all sorts of reasons. You can do it because you think people want you to. You can do it out of guilt. You can serve people for a lot of different reasons. You can serve people from a pure heart, but you can serve people for a lot of reasons. And sometimes we do it for the wrong reasons. Sometimes our motives are impure. And simply, sometimes we've got the attitude, I'm just not going to serve. We think that we are better than that and that it's below us to serve other people or lessen ourselves. And we talked about last week, just to give you a recap, I'm sure nobody missed it. You know, you were all paying attention to every word I said. Um, but I said the most common reason that we say a lot of times for not serving is, is what? I'm too busy. 
We say we're busy. We say busyness is the reason we don't serve. But if we're being honest and we take a step back, yeah, we might have a busy schedule, but more often than not, the main cause of why we don't serve other people is pride. Absolutely pride. We don't serve sometimes because of pride. And so you might be thinking, well, why are you hammering on this? Why are you talking about this? You know, is it because, you know, you want more people to do stuff? And I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, that's not just it. We've got a serving church and we want you to experience something that God has for you. But here's why we drill down on it. Here's why we talk about it a lot. Here's why we hammer on it maybe even. Because you might have the attitude, it's like, well, hey, I'm saved. That's all that matters, right? But what does the Bible say about that? In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says this. You can read scripture on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible if you like. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also by faith itself if it does not have works is dead man that's that's strong right that's strong he is saying if we claim to have faith but it doesn't come out of our hands and our feet, if it doesn't come out of our mouth, I would add as well, that we might not truly have faith, that our faith that we had could be dead. Dead. That's a scary thought. That's a strong warning. And so that's why we drill down on it. That's why we talk about it a lot because you cannot claim to have faith in Jesus and it doesn't move you at least a little bit. And so we want everybody to have a true and living faith. And there's more, and we'll tell you a little bit later what that more is. So the question that I think we ought to answer is this. How do we become joyful servants? How do we become joyful servants? Because I think we all know deep down that if you go through the motions, somebody will still get served but you'll miss out on the greatest blessing. So how do we become not just a servant who goes through the motions and does the things that are needed to be done, but how do we start to have a joyful attitude about it? Now, there are some of you in this room, very even, maybe even watching online, who are such joyful servants, you could probably come up here and teach all of us. But for a lot of us, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle. We, we may do the things, we may serve people, but a lot of times it's kind of through gritted teeth, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Or you keep the smile and you've learned how to play the role and you look completely into it. But as soon as you're done, you're like, I am so sick and tired of that. You know, I'm sick and tired of that person. I'm sick and tired of that role. I'm sick and tired of doing this, doing that. And, and you want to answer why. How do we become a more joyful servant? You see, conventional wisdom is something that will say something different. It'll say, first you need to succeed, and you look after yourself, and then you'll be fulfilled. But is that true? Does success and what the world views as success ever lead to true fulfillment? No, because you look at, at people who the world idolizes, and oftentimes they're the most miserable people on the face of the earth. 
And, you know, you see suicide rates that aren't any better with people who are extremely wealthy or extremely famous or all that sort of stuff because they still have no hope oftentimes. You know, the Apostle Paul is a great example. The Apostle Paul, he really had it all early on in his life. He was the leader of the Pharisees. One of the, he was the guy who was put in charge of stopping the church. You know, he was going around arresting Christians, and he was the boy. He was the man. You know, he was the poster boy of who the, the Jews were supposed to be like because you're not going to let anybody come and take away glory from God is what he thought. And so he had it all. But he did not ever have fulfillment until he gave it all up for Jesus Christ, right? And then he lived his life as a nomad, really, a nomad traveling around from place to place, never truly having a home of his own for many, many years. And he suffered beatings and he was even stoned to death at one point. And it seems like God brought him back to life. He received the 40 lashes minus, you know, one multiple times. He was shipwrecked. He was spent time out in the open ocean and he just went through all this. And then after with all that, that's when he felt fulfilled. Because he began to understand what it was really all about. He served Jesus. He served the church. Moses, you remember Moses? You know, he's a great example. Um, It's been said many times over that he spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. He was a prince of Egypt. You know, he was like royalty. He was going around. He's big stuff. And then he spent the next 40 years after he killed that Egyptian defending the Israelite, hiding and running in the desert. He spent the next 40 years thinking he was a nobody. Thought he was a somebody for 40 years, thought he was a nobody for 40 years, but then he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. And he served the people of Israel, even though it was not an easy job, was it? It was a thankless task, but he did it. And then Jesus, if you need another example, Jesus left the glories of heaven to come, come down here in all this. 80 degree days in November. Whew. He didn't have to experience that. He didn't have to experience the county turning off the air condition, even though this is North Carolina and it might be 80 today and 30 tomorrow. He didn't have to experience all that. Uh, you know, he didn't experience, have to experience any of that, but he chose to come and serve you and I in his life, but also in his death and to save lost people. You know, there's a well-known story that I alluded to and sort of touched on last week a little bit that believe it or not, relates to serving. And a lot of times we think it might not relate to serving, but I believe we can learn a lot from Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. We spent a little more time talking about the lost sheep. We talked about the lost coin. We sort of pointed to the prodigal son, but I want to spend a few more moments in that. We're not going to read the whole account. And so if you get some time, if you're not familiar with that text, you can go through and read Luke chapter 15, the whole through its entirety. But I'm going to point out a few things here. And it seems this prodigal son, this son who was one of two sons, the father owned the land, and he comes and he comes to his father, and here's what he says. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want to go out and live my life. I want my inheritance right now. He had probably lived a life of ease, but he was probably working the family farm. He probably had responsibilities like any parent who's responsible would do, was give their child something to do. They don't just hand it to him. So he probably worked and he probably did all sorts of stuff. But he came to this point where he just honestly wished that his dad would hurry up and what? Die. 
so he could get his inheritance. So instead, it wasn't happening quick enough. He's like, slides him a little bit more red meat, you know, some at dinner. <laughs> it wasn't happening quick enough. I, I couldn't do pork because he was Jew, so he didn't give him pork. But he slides him a little bit of stuff. He, he's not dying quick enough, so he finally says, give me my inheritance now. And so the father it unbelievably says, okay, sure. And he divides his inheritance amongst both of the sons. And so we got to make sure we notice that, that he was telling his dad, dad, I wish that you were dead. And ultimately what he was saying was, dad, I want your stuff more than I want you. I want your stuff more than I want you. But then if you know the story, he goes off quickly. He wastes everything in just a few days, maybe. Who knows? It might have been weeks. We don't know. It's a short story. But he goes off and he wastes it all quickly. And he becomes a servant in a far worse situation than anything he had ever experienced when he was working on his father's farm. He is there and he's feeding these pigs and he's longing for their food. And he finally comes to his senses and he's like, my goodness, I just need to go back and, and beg to be a servant in my father's house. And he finally says, okay, I'm going to do it. And he goes back. And if you don't know the story, you need to read it. But then I want us to take a second. I want us to look at the other brother. I look at the other brother. You see, he was there in body. He never physically left. But what about his heart? What about his heart? The older brother served diligently, but you can see from what happens next that his heart wasn't truly in it. He was going through the motions. He was doing all the right stuff. He was probably saying all the right things, but he was not truly in it. He viewed it as slavery. He says as much as it's recorded in the story that Jesus told, Luke 15, beginning in verse 28. It says, when he found out his brother had come home and been accepted by the father, and it's a, it's a cool story if you don't know it. Go back and read it. But his father accepted him back in through this big party. Didn't say you're going to be a servant. He said, you're going to be my son. You're, you're back with full privileges. He gave him a robe and threw a ring on his finger, threw a party. And when the son, other son finds out what's going on, here's what he says. He refused to go in because he was angry. His father came out and entreated him. He begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And that word in the Greek is the idea of like being a slave to someone. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours doesn't call him what? Brother. Doesn't call him brother. He says, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. His attitude was horrible, right? His attitude was horrible, and it all came out. You find out that he had been keeping score, hadn't he? He had been taking note of every little thing he did get or he didn't get. I would say, side note, step off for a second. I would say if he had asked his father for a goat to have a party with, you think his father would have given it? I mean, he gave him the inheritance, both of them, even when he didn't ask for it. Sometimes we don't get the good things we want simply because we do not ask and then we're hating the father. But anyway, back on point. All right. So he goes on. His attitude was horrible. And here's something I want you to see. I want you to hear this. Both brothers wished the father was dead. One was simply more patient. I say that because maybe you haven't been the prodigal. I can absolutely relate to the prodigal for my life. 
But even, though, even still, it's been a long time since I was a prodigal. And there are times, whether I like to admit it or not, that I can be that older brother. And I can be like that older brother, and I can feel like I am above, and I, don't, I haven't messed up. It's been a long time since I've messed up in a major way. You know, I don't throw my life away and, and spoil my inheritance like I used to. Yes, I sin. Yes, I struggle. But I get this air of superiority. And I kind of developed this attitude, but really I'm not truly happy to be in the presence of my father. Just like that father, they both wished he was dead. He just was more patient about it. Make sure you're looking at your heart and your motives. So what we have to do is this. We can be like the two brothers or like one of the two brothers when it comes to God. Do you want the presence of God or do you want the presence of God? I'm sorry, that was really preachery, but I had to do it. Read that again. Do you want the presence of God or do you want the presence of God? I have been the guy who wants the good things that God has to offer, but didn't care so much about his presence, his E-N-C-E. Because I was not thankful for just being in the presence of God that I could just be there in his. And, and I'm telling you, you'll never truly understand. I'll never truly understand until I get to a place where I desire the presence with the C of God more than the presence with a TS. I, I won't be happy with God. I won't be happy in my relationship. I won't be fulfilled. Because when you get presence with a TS, there's never enough, Right? How many times have you bought, when you were a kid or you've been a parent and you bought your kid something for Christmas and they just wanted it, they wanted it, they wanted it, and uh, two days later they're done with it? Why didn't I get anything good for Christmas? Child, I'm about to take my shoe off. <laughs> I don't know if that's allowed to say that. I, I don't do that. Um, but anyway, we, we just don't understand and we don't appreciate what we've been given. And so both brothers had the wrong heart towards the father and serving. They just expressed it in different ways. The younger son, he seemed worse when you look from the outside looking in. He had left, but he came back home, didn't he? And he had the right heart. And sadly, we don't get to see if the older brother ever changed his heart. And I know Jesus told that story that way on purpose. Because he need, we need to understand that we need to make sure no matter which side of that fence we're on that we still change our heart and come back home. The other brother had never left the location, but his heart was long gone, right? So are you more like the younger brother or more like the older brother? Because our goal is to get to the place where we simply desire the presence of the Father. And so that's why we're called to serve. And so that's why I want us to spend just a couple more minutes this morning really getting our hearts and our minds wrapped around that. That's why we talk about serving because we want to get to the place in our heart and our mind where we desire the presence of God more than we desire his gifts, his presence, the things that he does. We want to have the mindset of John the Immerser, John the Baptist, who, where he said, in John 3 verse 30 he must increase so I must decrease that we would get smaller so that God could be glorified in our life that there would be less of us so there could be more of him and I believe we can find in Philippians chapter 2 our blueprint for this getting a heart like this the first thing I want you to think about is this all right we're going to read this passage of scripture think about this idea has God done anything for you has God ever done anything for you? Now listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 1. If there's any encouragement from being belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? 
He's asking this rhetorical question. He knows the answer. Have they had any encouragement from the love of the Father? Absolutely. Have you had any encouragement from the love of the Father? Absolutely. If, you have, if you're breathing right now, you've gotten a good thing from God. He says, so if you've had any of this, then here's what I want you to do. Verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And so first, that's the first idea we got to wrap our brains around. If you have ever had anything good from God, then go love, serve, and move together. That's what the church is called to do. We are not just an organization that we can be loosely connected to. If we are Christians, then we are part of a body. And a body that is separated from itself is never going to survive or be healthy, is it? It's not going to be reach its full potential. So we need to love and serve and move because we have been given good things from God. And here's the next idea. Put others first. That's a hard one, right? Yep. We can all talk about it. We can be like, oh, yeah, of course I'll put other people first. Proof positive that we don't know how to put other people first. There's a couple of places. If you are coming from 87 from uh, 440 heading into Nightdale and you get off on the Hodge Road exit, you come up there. There are two lanes, two turn lanes that turn left, right? You get there. There's only one lane that it turns into. The other one turns into another left turn to get you back on the highway. People will line up for 300 miles in the outside lane. They don't understand that the thing's designed so you can zipper merge one after the other. You can switch, and everybody gets through. I'm sorry, I'm passionate about it. Because if there's 30 cars and you decide, I'm going to use my brain, and I'm going to drive like everybody's supposed to, and you get in that left-hand lane, people will shoot you. I mean, run, run you off the road. How dare you? It's, it's, designed, it's a shorter turn. So you'll get there in first. You get right behind me. And then the next part, it, I'm sorry, I'm passionate about it. But we don't want to put other people first. They're afraid. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my three seconds that I'm just going to go look at my phone. Why, why can't we allow other people to go first? Jesus tells us, and Paul tells us, put others first. Verse 3, verse 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You know, I like to give people some Greek every now and then. I alluded to a little bit earlier, but here's some Greek for you. Don't be selfish in the Greek is don't be selfish. That's a truth bomb right there for you. We can't pretty that up. We can't make any better. It says don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Stop thinking about yourself so much because why? It makes you miserable, and it makes you, believe it or not, kind of unbearable. I've been there. I, I've been there, and I, I'm hard to be around when I'm selfish. You're hard to be around when you're selfish, and it makes you miserable. You think you're going to be happy when you put yourself first, but you're never, ever satisfied. Nobody has ever said, oh, here comes Seymour. I just love to hear him talk about himself. I don't know if you know Seymour. I tried to pick a name that nobody had, so... But we don't want to hear people who just talk about themselves. The next idea is this, and it's, it's building on itself. Be like Jesus, think like Jesus. Now, that's easier said than done. We claim to love that. That's our thing. You know, we're Christians. Oh, yeah, be like Jesus, live like Jesus. But we don't ever, like we talked about last week, slow down and be intentional to see how we can be like Jesus and think like Jesus. Look at verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
What does he say? You must have the attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I say this, I'm speaking to me too, but can I give you a valuable, valuable life lesson? You may know it, but it's never too much to hear it again. Stop. Stop thinking about what you deserve. Stop thinking about what I deserve. Because you know what I deserve? You know what you deserve? Death. That cross that Jesus died on, it was yours and mine. So how dare we say, I deserve better than this. No, you don't. And I'm telling you, when I, when I wrap, and I don't do it all the time, but when I wrap my mind around that truth and when other people wrap their mind around that truth, when you wrap your mind around that truth, your life will instantly become more joy-filled. Because it's not so much about what I haven't gotten, but it's what I got that I did not deserve in a good way. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Don't have that attitude like the world does, but have the attitude of Jesus who left heaven to come down. Jesus didn't deserve to suffer, but he did, didn't he? He didn't deserve to suffer. And I asked the question, am I better than Jesus? Are you better than Jesus? And so follow Jesus' example. Sacrifice and sacrifice everything. And that's hard. I'm not saying I want to do that. I don't want to be homeless, but I hope and pray that I've learned and I'm learning to follow Jesus enough that if I lost my home that I believe he would provide, I believe he would use his church to provide, and I'm not there yet, but I want my heart and my mind to be that way. And that's the way we're told to be. That's the way we're called to be, to be like Jesus, to think like Jesus. It'll all be worth it in the end because Jesus humbled himself, but then what? He was given the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And we get to reap the benefits and rewards of that. No, we're not going to be on par with Jesus, but we get to be in heaven because Jesus bowed his knee and went to the cross. We can have life eternal. And so then there's another idea that we see in this text. Serve, repeat. Serve and repeat. Look at verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You see, he goes on and he tells him this idea. He says, make sure that you continue to be faithful and serve one another even more. He said, you've always done it, but keep on keeping on. Don't be tired and weary of doing good, Paul writes in Galatians. Don't become weary in doing good. Keep on serving. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. If you're saved, live like it, is what he's saying. 
And one of the great ways we can do that is by serving other people. Obeying God leads us to love him more. Did you catch he said that in the passage? It's sort of like playing a sport. If you ever played a sport or learned a skill, the more you do it, the more natural it becomes, right? You know, what, you know I don't know if you don't, if you don't like sports, it's okay. Maybe you like crocheting or knitting. I don't know how to do those. But I'm sure it's the same principle. You do it over and over and over again, it becomes something. You know, I've seen those, those people that can do that stuff, and they're just talking to you, and they're just Same thing with a sport, right? It becomes muscle memory because you do it over and over and over again. And many times, the more you do something, the more you fall in love with it because it just becomes life and breathing to you. It becomes joy. And the same thing with serving. The first few times that you serve, if you're not one of those people who just naturally love it, it's going to stink. It's going to be one of those, I hate these little turd moments that you, know, that you might be experiencing. But you keep on serving, you keep on serving until it becomes oxygen to you. And it becomes your life breath that you live and breathe for. Until we serve regularly, it's like speaking a foreign language that just doesn't quite sit right or feel right. But the more you do it, the more that you fall in love with Jesus. It says... Verse 12, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So you become and you learn more about what it means to serve as you serve, as you serve. And then one more last idea. Maybe this is what you need to hear. Nothing you do for God is wasted. Nothing you do for God is wasted. You see, I've often not done things because I thought they're not going to appreciate it. Or even after I did something, I heard somebody say something discouraging. Believe it or not, that was not the last time somebody basically called me a little turd. (laughs) Maybe I'm the problem. I don't know. But here's the thing. I often feel like nobody is going to care, so why even bother? Look at verse 14 following there. It says, do everything without complaining and arguing. He tells the church, do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, that's a lot of stuff, and it's easy to kind of miss that. But Paul says, I want you to have the same idea, the same heart, the same mindset as Jesus, that I will not have labored in vain. You will be faithful till the end. You'll keep serving. You'll keep moving. You'll keep loving. Just keep on doing it. And he said, even if I die, I want to rejoice. Even if I'm just the drink offering, even if I'm not the main offering, even if I'm just a little bit poured on top, a little bit extra, I'm going to glorify God because he is good. And I get to be that poured out offering on top of him. And I hope and pray that all of us, I'm asking you to search your heart and say, God, help there to be less of me and more of you so that I can be joyful about being poured out even even to the point of death. Because that's the heart and the mindset that we're called to have. 
He says, don't complain, don't argue. <clears throat> he says, don't complain, don't argue. It dims your light. He says, don't complain, don't argue, so that you will shine like stars in the universe. Hold on and hold out the word of God. Hold on to the word of God. Hold it close to your heart, in your heart, and hold it out to other people. It has eternal consequences. Give every last drop of your life because it's all an offering to God. And then you'll experience true joy. You see, a lot of us are going through life looking for joy, and we look everywhere else but the place that we're promised it is emptying ourselves and becoming more like God. It's been quoted and passed around on the internet many, many times. I just saw it again the other day. Someone says something to the effect of, if you die today, your job will be posted online before your obituary. They'll be looking for your replacement. And if you've worked and worked and worked and worked, everything that you've worked for, somebody else will spend it and they will enjoy it and they will not probably think about you all that much. So invest your life in something that truly matters for eternity. When you give your life to serving Jesus, you know that life means something that will last forever. That life that you're living will last forever. It won't just fade and rust and be used by somebody else and taken and, and put in place and you'll be replaced and you'll be forgotten. You'll make a difference in eternity. So as you serve, be more like Jesus. You'll feel closer to Jesus and you'll point other people to Jesus. So serve as you go in love. And you'll never be far from Jesus. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. That if you want to be closer to Jesus, you'll find him in a servant's robe, washing people's feet. How can you serve? How can you be more like him? Pour it all out. <laughs> Empty it. Be his. The stems. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement in Sydney.